I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and this is The Truth of the Matter. This is the podcast where we break down the policy issues of the day. Since the politicians are having their say, we will excuse them with respect and bring in the experts, many of them from CSIS, people who have been working these issues for years. No spin, no bombast, no finger pointing, just informed discussion. To get to the truth of the matter on President Trump's decision to withdraw American troops in northern Syria, we'll talk with Bulent Alariza. Bulent has been the director and senior associate for CSIS's Turkey Project since 1994. Prior to joining CSIS, he was a senior associate at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. He had previously served as a Turkish Cypriot diplomat in New York and Washington. Thank you so much for joining us. And as we often do on this podcast, we start with a simple question. What is this all about? Well, uh, we're discussing the uh, question of a Turkish intervention in Syria at this moment because of a phone conversation two days ago between Turkish President Erdogan and uh, U.S. President uh, Trump. President Erdogan has been talking uh, for months about his desire to actually move his troops into northern Syria and establish a safe zone. He's been very unhappy with the U.S. cooperation with the Syrian Kurdish YPG, which uh, he says is affiliated with the Turkish PKK. The Turkey has been fighting since 1984. And uh, he's been unhappy that the U.S. has not been listening uh, to him and putting his concerns to one side in his desire to use the Syrian Kurdish forces as the ground troops in the operation that ultimately proved successful in defeating ISIS. This business about the Kurds, this has been a problem ever since, what, back to World War I, when the Kurds in Iraq, Iran, all through Syria, uh, Turkey, wanted their own state. Well, when the uh, First World War resulted in the destruction of the Ottoman Empire, There were no states like Syria or Iraq. Uh, There were the mandates uh, that uh, the colonial powers, the UK and France, had established in the Fertile Crescent. And there were Kurds uh, living in both countries, uh, more in Iraq than in Syria, but also in Turkey. The Wilsonian principles encouraged the Kurds to believe that they were going to get an independent state. That did not happen. The Kurds who found themselves in Turkey, like the Kurds who found themselves in Iraq, the Kurds who found themselves in, in Syria then uh, had to live within the nation states that were created in the aftermath of the Ottoman Empire. There is a Kurdish problem in every one of the three countries that uh, I mentioned, but also in Iran, where they form a sizable minority. They may be one of the biggest ethnic groups uh, that do not have a state. Uh, within Turkey, there has been an ongoing insurgency by the PKK. Uh, which has resorted to uh, uh, terrorism in order to try and establish an independent state. That failed. Uh, They failed to carve out a uh, a state or uh, even an autonomous zone within Turkey. But they have done so in both Iraq, where they have now the Kurdish regional government in northern uh, Iraq. And the U.S. was very much instrumental in helping that to happen as it defeated Saddam Hussein. But they also have one in Syria, the YPG, having defeated the Islamic State, so-called Islamic State, ISIS, 
has effectively established an autonomous zone uh, from the Euphrates River all the way to where Turkey, Iraq, and Syria meet. And uh, it's precisely this autonomous zone, uh, self-governing zone, uh, which has been established with the help of the United States, that uh, Turkey is opposed to. And it's determined to actually bring it to an end and establish a safe zone under its control with the help of Syrian opposition forces that it has been sustaining in Syria. And during this recent uh, Syrian civil war, the Kurds in Syria were allies of the United States and are very good fighters. We supported them with air power and so on. Yet back in Turkey, they are considered a terrorist organization by the Turkish government. And therein is the problem, is it not? They were trying to help us in Syria. They helped to destroy ISIS. Yet Turkey has never been comfortable with that. So why did the president decide to say, it's just time to pull out? We won and we're leaving. Well, he's been justifying it uh, with reference to his campaign promise to uh, bring back U.S. forces from what he says are endless wars. With every tweet that he sends out, he says endless wars. That can be justified. But in this case, we would be talking about leaving a situation uh, which is unstable to become even more unstable. And eventually the the issue is gonna come back uh, to haunt the United States, specifically with respect to the remnants of ISIS. Just to focus on that for a moment, because it's such an important aspect of the the problem, there are thousands of ISIS fighters who were not killed, who are currently in prison in Northern Syria. The Syrian Kurdish forces are keeping them prisoner, but they cannot try them, because they're not a government. The, many of the uh, ISIS fighters come from other countries who do not want them back. That includes the United States, because there are U.S. citizens who are, who are there. Beyond the uh, fighters, there are the families of the uh, ISIS fighters, thousands of them. Uh, they still adhere to, to the same principles and dangerous ideas that motivated them and their menfolk in the past. So what do you do with them? Uh, the Syrian Kurds are saying that if we have to confront the Turkish military, uh, you know, we wash our hands of uh, this issue. Now, Trump has said that uh, the Turkey will take care uh, of them. We'll see how that uh, issue is resolved. To go back to your question, though, the uh, Syrian Kurdish uh, YPG is indeed affiliated with the PKK. But what the U.S. did was to move away from its own commitment to regard the PKK as a terrorist organization. So it's not just Turkey that sees the PKK as a terrorist organization, but also the U.S. government, and treat the YPG as a separate organization uh, for the purpose of defeating ISIS under the umbrella of the Syrian Democratic Forces. So whenever the U.S. government has been talking about uh, its aid uh, to uh, the Syrian Kurds, it has done so in the context of the SDF. Now, Turkey is saying that this is a distinction without a difference, that it's meaningless. Ultimately, the YPG is the PKK. Now, the YPG, for its part, uh, did fight well. Uh, They've lost thousands of of their fighters uh, uh, against the ISIS. And they do expect, if not gratitude, at least an understanding uh, for a post-ISIS situation in which they are in control of northern Syria. They do not want to fall under the control of Assad again. Um, and it's worth remembering that during the days of Assad, both Bashar and his father Hafez, 
The Syrian Kurds were not even given identity papers. They were not recognized as, a, as an ethnic group. And they found themselves, because of the U.S. decision um, in October 2014, when President Obama, after a phone call to President Erdogan, who opposed the decision, decided to drop uh, supplies to the Syrian Kurds to, defend them, to help defend themselves at, at the town of Kobani against ISIS, which was threatening to, to overrun them. Now, nobody in the Obama White House or uh, the Defense Department or the State Department actually thought through the implications of engaging uh, the Syrian Kurds, um, the YPG, um, in an effort to defeat ISIS as part of a tactical alliance and what this would ultimately mean for the strategic alliance with uh, Turkey, which stretches back uh, seven decades all the way to the Truman Doctrine and to NATO membership. And this is where the chickens are coming home to roost. Now, Trump, in his very clumsy and roundabout way, is trying to tackle the issue by saying, you know, cutting the Gordian knot, as it were, by saying, we're going to pull out. It's not that simple. He made that, uh, a similar promise to Erdogan in December 2018. And then he was forced to reverse it and agreed to the, uh, the American troops staying in northern Syria. Now, that crisis actually led to the resignation of Secretary Mattis, who opposed the decision, as well as a number of other officials. Now, uh, Mattis is gone, and others uh, have departed, including John Bolton, who had opposed that decision. But there is serious congressional opposition uh, to uh, Trump's decision, and it really does remain to be seen whether he will actually do it this time. There are many people, including me, who expect him to revise, if not totally reverse, the decision. So you think this is literally not going to stand? this decision that the president made. And I must say, the response from the Congress has just been overwhelmingly against this. Uh, Republicans who seem to find nothing wrong uh, with the president asking the Ukrainian president or Putin of Russia or China to help him track down his political enemies, uh, they reign pretty much silent. But everybody has just there's been an uproar at the Capitol. I haven't seen this kind of a, you know, bipartisan uproar about anything literally since uh, the president took office. Except when it came to withdrawing from northern Syria, as I mentioned yes. in the early months of this year. Uh, again, it was the same uh, people, Lindsey Graham and others, the closest allies of uh, Trump the president, on the Hill. Yes. Uh, Jim Grish, the chairman of the Center for Foreign Relations uh, Committee, Jim Inhofe, the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, you know, who you normally in lockstep with, uh, with Trump, who opposed that decision and got him to reverse it. I see the same kind of pressure buildup, including this time Mitch McConnell, who almost never goes against anything that uh, Trump does. Well, what does. is it about, and I want to go to Andrew, but what is it about this issue that has made it so volatile? I think the fact that the, the Syrian Kurds did fight and defeat ISIS, has given them a lot of credit in, in, in Washington. And notwithstanding the residual support for, for Turkey as a loyal ally, notwithstanding all the problems that have occurred uh, recently, there is a desire on the part of Capitol Hill uh, to try and satisfy Turkish security concerns as part of an agreement that uh, Jim Jeffrey, the current Syrian point man, is trying to work out, while maintaining the tactical alliance with the YPG to keep the possibility of a revival of the ISIS threat uh, in check and ensuring that the two sides do not fight each other. This is something that Trump himself has said that uh, he, uh, he wanted to achieve. So the question is whether he tries to maintain that balance 
given that he is now committing himself for a second time to Erdogan. Andrew. Thank you, Bob. Buent, you know, this is exactly why we created this program. Um, situation like this comes up in policy, and we can bring in one of our experts to really explain it to us. So thanks for being here. I wanted to ask you, put yourself in the mind of Erdogan. You said earlier that President Trump's doctrine has been to withdraw our troops from overseas. Turkey, obviously, is a NATO ally. The Kurds in northern Syria have been the United States ally. Did Erdogan put himself in the mind of trying to play to Donald Trump's doctrine and say, we're going to go and we're going to say to Donald Trump, hey, you know, you wanted to pull your troops out. So why don't you just do that so we can go in and do our thing? Absolutely. He did the same thing uh, at the end of uh, 2018. He said, look, we can take care of this. In fact, all the way back to the Obama uh, presidency, Erdogan was saying that we can defeat ISIS. You don't have to uh, maintain this, this alliance. But for its own reasons, uh, the U.S. security establishment decided that the best way to confront ISIS was to build up the Syrian Kurdish forces, who did fight uh, uh, well against uh, ISIS. But their victory created a problem, and it's the one that I mentioned, which is to balance the strategic relationship with uh, Turkey and the tactical alliance uh, with YPG. Now, Trump is saying that the ISIS threat is over. That is not a view that's shared by too many people who are looking at the problem. All of his closest advisors. Absolutely. Jim Jeffrey, you mentioned before, the one of the Middle East's top hands in the administration. You mentioned uh, General Mattis actually resigned over this very issue. Um, you mentioned Bolton, who's no longer there. You mentioned you, you could go throughout the entire national security apparatus within this administration and with and as Bob said, on Capitol Hill, and they'll all say, this is not in the national security interest of the United States. So where does that leave President Trump on this issue? In a very difficult position. But uh, one of the good things of being President Trump is that you don't realize the, the predicament that you put yourself in with tweets and with policy decisions. You just sort of wing your way through. But in this case, I think he's got an even bigger problem than the last time when he made the promise to, to Erdogan. Because... I've noticed that even his evangelical supporters like Pat Robertson and others are joining in and saying that, you know, this is something that's unacceptable. Robertson actually said that, you know, uh, Trump is in danger of losing the keys to heaven if he goes ahead with this. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if you rely on evangelicals, that's actually going to make you think twice. But is Donald Trump reading his polling and his polling says that Americans want U.S. troops out everywhere? They do, but if, again, if you were to ask uh, the uh, in the same opinion polls, uh, do you worry that ISIS might come back again? And they would say yes. Right. And that's the predicament. What I find astounding is that when Trump made this announcement saying, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider to be off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey. That sounds remarkably like what the Wizard of Oz said when Dorothy went in. And you wonder, is Toto, where's Toto <laughs> right now to pull back the curtain? Also, not how you talk to a NATO ally, necessarily. Well, exactly. <laughs> this was his second tweet. Uh, he first announced, the, the conversation took place late Sunday night. And the announcement was made by uh, Stephanie Grisham out of the White House, confirming that Trump had agreed uh, to allow um, uh, Turkish forces to, to go in and to withdraw American forces. Uh, Trump sent out a tweet confirming it himself. And then he obviously watched Fox TV, where Lindsey Graham was on, 
complaining vociferously about the decision and saw the other, you know, sources of uh, uh, opposition on Capitol Hill. And then sent out another tweet saying if they go too far, then uh, we're going to devastate the Turkish economy. Refer to um, the sanctions that, uh, that he imposed on Turkey that led to the Turkish currency falling against the dollar last year. Right. The end of that tweet said, as I've done before. Exactly. Now, the Turkish economy is vulnerable. And I tracked uh, the uh, trajectory of the Turkish currency yesterday. And after the Trump announcement, it fell quite a bit against the, the dollar. Today, he sent out a tweet in which he said nice things about Turkey and, uh, and said, uh, mentioned that there'd be a November 13 meeting. The currencies recovered somewhat. So the Turkish economy is indeed vulnerable. That may be one of the reasons why Erdogan is keen on achieving a foreign policy success, because the Turkish the, the economic difficulties that he's been facing uh, were a factor in, the, uh, uh, in his loss of control in Istanbul, where he began his political career way back. Uh, as well as the capital city of Ankara. Um, there's one other part of the the story, I think, Bob, that we need to touch on. Turkey does not just want to establish a safe zone in northern Syria. Erdogan has been talking about sending back as much as two, 2 million of the 4 million Syrian refugees in, in Turkey. Now, with the economic difficulties, the issue of the Syrian refugees has become more important in Turkey. It might even have been a factor in the loss of Istanbul. So Erdogan is keen to actually resettle them in northern Syria. But that cannot happen within the uh, safe zone that Erdogan and Trump have talked about. You know, the, uh, Trump has apparently mentioned 20 kilo, uh, miles. Although it's a long border, uh, if you multiply it by, uh, even by the 20 miles, it, again, it's not an area that you can settle uh, 2 million uh, Syrian refugees in. So he may have to push even further in, which would certainly uh, stretch Turkey's military capabilities, would certainly stretch Turkey's economic capabilities to actually set up the infrastructure and housing, which may cost as much as $20 billion, uh, plus dollars. Military operations, one part of the equation, the post-military operation, if and when it takes place, of resettlement is another. And I'm not sure that uh, the U.S. government has actually thought through and taken a position on the implication of resettlement of huge number of Syrian refugees. And that takes us to the whole issue of uh, the U.S. policy on Syria, which has been all over the place. And, you know, uh, the U.S. is, and along with the Europeans, have been content to let Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan uh, deal with the refugee issue without, you know, having uh, coming up with it's sort of a post-Syrian civil war Marshall plan to deal with it. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we need to think in terms of what a military operation would look like with all, all its implications and a post-military operation resettlement with all its implications. When I was covering the news on the daily news at CBS, we had a rule called the Stringer Rule, and it was named after Howard Stringer, who'd been the president of CBS News. And it, it basically was this. In every story, we had to put in a paragraph that said why you need to know this, why this is important. Why is this important to America? Is it our national security? Is it our national reputation? What is it that makes this so important? It's a great question. I think with almost every foreign policy commitment, just to take one example, you know, the, uh, the retention of American troops in Germany so many years, so many decades after the, the war, you can ask the question and come up with a negative answer. 
But previously what we had was uh, successive security establishments, uh, the broader Washington uh, policy elite, um, you know, the Washington marketplace of ideas, which all three of us are, are very much part of, that would debate these issues and come up with a rational decision. In this case, we have a president who does not seem to have a thought through ideas and, and policies on these important issues. Yeah, he does not have an interagency pro- process that, that functions. When he makes these calls, apparently, he does not have the talking points in front of him. Or if uh, he has them, he does not read them. So, you know, when we answer this question, we have to break it into two parts again. First is, you know, why is it important? Is it important for, for the president who ultimately makes foreign policy and overseas security policy? Is it important for the American public? And if it is important for the American public, and we can say because the ISIS threat has not gone away and there is a moral responsibility to actually not make the situation any worse by decisions that are made now, having dealt with the ISIS problem, which was a symptom and, and, and certainly not a cause of the, uh, of the Syrian war, and how much that will actually have a, an impact on the president and his administration. And I, I fear the answer there is not much. You know, we debate this issue, uh, such as it is, there is a public debate on this issue. Certainly Congress is involved. But whether that actually has an impact on President Trump and his administration uh, is debatable. And that is something of great concern to, to all of us. So, Pulin, what's next between Trump and Erdogan? Well, I think that they're going to have to talk again. Because obviously the, the conversation that they had on Sunday night was uh, not enough uh, to, to settle the issue. In fact, it created... Uh, even more uh, questions uh, than answers. They're due to meet, as I said, on November 13th. But before then, Erdogan has to decide uh, whether he's going to move into northern Syria, both to set up the safe zone and maybe even to proceed uh, to the much bigger you know, issue of resettling the refugees or hold off until November 13th. Now, I think there must be people uh, around him, and certainly if he's talking to some of the congressional opponents, who must be saying, you know, why don't you tell him to hold off until I comes here? So, you know, Erdogan has a decision to make. What Trump says to him through tweets or through a second telephone conversation is obviously going to be a factor in, uh, in the equation. It's difficult to say, uh, but certainly judging by his statements before he left for Serbia on this trip, I think he'll make a move. My guess is that it will not be across the entire border it will be limited incursion. It will, A, underline his determination on this issue. It will convey a message to President Trump and to uh, the U.S. government that he's very serious about this. And then maybe hold off on expanding the, uh, the incursion until he has his meeting in Washington. We're talking about 2,000 troops here about, U.S. troops. We're going to withdraw these 2,000 troops and the Kurds in northern Syria who are guarding thousands of ISIS prisoners, and and the prisons themselves are makeshift prisons. They're schools that have been turned into jails, things, community centers that have been turned into jails, that the U.S. has helped the Kurds build bars and things, so not secure, to say the least. This could end up being a massacre, or this could end up being ISIS regenerating itself. What could happen here if the U.S. really does withdraw? Well, we're speculating, uh, you know, both with respect to the timing and scope of the Turkish intervention, we can speculate about the YPG resistance. Now, under with the urging of the of the U.S., 
the YPG is apparently withdrawn five kilometers uh, away from the, the border. So if the Turkish incursion is only within those five, 10 kilometers or whatever it is, the YPG has apparently vacated, uh, it says it has, and the US government is saying the same thing. Uh, we're not talking about a major clash, in which case the YPG may continue to detain uh, those prisoners without a mass uh, breakout and without them reconstituting themselves. Uh, you know, that would be the uh, a good way to deal with Turkish security concerns and still maintain the relationship with the YPG. Now, uh, the U.S. forces have not been withdrawn, have been withdrawn from immediately uh, on the border. There were a the couple of uh, forward observation posts that were vacated. Turkish TV has been showing it. But they have uh, not been withdrawn from Syria. One senior State Department official giving a briefing yesterday said, you know, we're talking only about 20 who withdrew from the, from that immediate area. So the U.S. military commitment uh, still continues, but there's a huge question mark over how long they, they will stay there because of Trump's attitude. This is the second time that he's threatened to withdraw them. And even if it backs off, the question is not going to go away. And I think it would be good for this issue to be discussed in Congress to define a U.S. policy uh, that goes beyond the resolution of this particular crisis. Bjorlund, I want to thank you for helping us get to the truth of the matter on these latest moves in the Middle East by the administration. We'll be back next week. I'm Bob Schieffer. And I'm Andrew Schwartz. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 